Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning there, I want to uh, repeat what I repeated last week about next Sunday night, not tonight, but next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we're going to be at Real Life Chapel for our second Convergence worship night. Um, this was an amazing night the last time we did it. We didn't know what was going to happen, and we sort of went into it with like a mustard seed of faith, and we all left it just like, wow, God really showed up. It was sort of weird. Isn't that weird to say? God actually showed up to this. You know, he did, man. He did it in a big way. And so we're looking to come again, come open-handed with the Lord. I'd ask you to invite uh, maybe friends you know from other churches. This isn't about a church. It's about Jesus Christ. And so we're going to join in that together next week at 6 o'clock. I pray that you will put that on your calendar and you will give it the priority that I believe it's due. So we've been in the series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I have heard probably more individual testimonies about what God is doing in individuals' life out of the past few weeks than I have of any different series we've ever done. I was sitting in our life group on Thursday night. Don't worry, life group people. I'm not going to share your stuff. Uh, but uh, I was sitting in the life group last Tuesday night, and I think I made the comment that part of me in November when we changed sermon series over wants to just start right back on Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, until we get it, until we get it. A couple points of uh, reminder is that one is that the gospels are not gospels of sin management. You can't use the Bible as a Band-Aid. You can't manage your sin. Your sin is divisive. It's like a cancer. It will tear you apart. And the more you live a, 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 uh, a strengthless Christian life, a spiritless Christian life, and try to manage your own sin and do things your way, the more you're going to get disenchanted with church and the ability that Jesus has any power at all or that you even know him. I don't say that lightly. I want to tell you someone who's been in that struggle. If you, don't, uh, if you don't stop trying to manage your sin, I don't think you're going to ever see victory. That doesn't give you like this, like, I'm just going to just sit here and do whatever. It's not that. We're going to unpack it a little more, and it's not a one Sunday thing. But these things on the Sermon on the Mount are meant for us. They're meant for us to be a way of life, not a moniker of who's really a good Christian. So we also talked about justification as taking the place of regeneration, that we always stand firmly on that Jesus saved us, and so we're saved, and we've got our ticket to heaven, and that's all that matters. It's not about that. Justification's huge, but regeneration, new life, renewal, Day by day is what sanctification is, is how we're called to live. Sadly, for many years, I lived by justification. And I tried to be, I tried to be more spiritual and tried to pursue uh, spiritual things that I thought would give me the answer to what I needed, whether it's being more charismatic in worship or more uh, desirous of gifts or more theologically in tune. 
And the harder I tried, the emptier a shell I became. So Jesus talks about three kingdoms. Kingdom of Satan, that's out there, that is having its impact, and it's having its impact on our lives if we let it. If you watch, you can see it happening by the hour. I saw it this morning, driving back from Dunkin' Donuts. I won't go into the story. You'll figure I was driving. Kingdom of self, that was involved as well. Just like that, out of nowhere. But then the kingdom of God. He wants us to bring heaven to earth, his kingdom here. Not to have a bunch of doomsday preppers waiting to go to heaven. God is not glorified in us shallowly sitting on our hands waiting to die so that we can be in heaven. There's more for us here. There's more for us in being salt and light to the world. We carry the light of Jesus. We are not the light. He is the light. Kelsey's prayed that up there. It's like, not us. It's God. We're supposed to be salt. Salt's a preservative. It is meant to, to slow down the decaying process of this world, which has happened by the fall. We had creation. It showed us what it's like. And then we have this deceleration. We're all shocked by it. The Bible was not shocked by it. But... Frankly, we look outside into the world and point out all the world's issues instead of looking right in the mirror of how much decay is going on in our own hearts. We allow for things in our life that compared to other people are probably pretty normal. Whether it's watching HBO stuff or Cinemax or whatever it is on the internet, too much Netflix where you shouldn't be at, or hardcore stuff. I mean, I, I literally I watched in the interview on Ted Bundy and just him talking about how the only thing common with the killers in the prison were pornography. Right before he died. He wasn't trying to blame it on pornography. He said, that's the only thing that's common. And so we justify that. So we saw that about lust. And then we, do, we look at anger as the first thing Jesus talked about. And I had to go no further than the guy sitting up here on this stool to see angry. I didn't have to look any further. On multiple levels. But God said there's a better way. What's the reality? It's, it's God and his kingdom. Who is to be blessed? Anyone who is alive in God's kingdom. And that doesn't mean you're breathing. Doesn't mean you're breathing. It means you're alive. You're free to go wherever you go and bring the kingdom to the place. That's what I want for Oasis. We've tried for years to do and go, we're going to be a mission to the community. We're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to do this. And all we got is fatigued people. And I got angry. 
I know y'all can't relate to that at all because you're deeply spiritual folk. Who is a really good person? Those who are pervaded with agape love. She's not here, but my wife is sort of like the last bastion of who I did not have was displaying. I did have, but did not display agape love to. I'm not saying that I've arrived. Don't hear that. And so the Sermon on the Mount, the blessedness is not a thing to attain. It is a lifestyle to be in. And when that occasion comes, you can be blessed because Jesus was with you in that. Not just you can, you will be blessed if you're following the kingdom's ways. You're following Jesus' example in it. You're not doing the old ways anymore. I am exhausted from the old ways. And I thought I could convince people to live in the kingdom. And I think I was more convincing them on living in the kingdom of self than I was the kingdom of God. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah, I'm called to be merciful. That sounds good. I'm going to be nice to my kid. He seals a cookie out of the cookie jar. I'm going to be merciful. Jesus is going a lot deeper than that. Listen to what Dallas Willard says about sin. Sin always splits the self to some degree. Yes, you know that you have harmed yourself and others, but you probably are not going to come to terms with that because you're carrying on a charade of righteousness, even if you don't believe it. So confession is very deep in the process of discovering the soul. You remember what righteousness is? To know what is right and to what? Do it. We have one to remember. Thank you. Diakasune. To know what is right and to do it. Far too many years we've had churches filled in America with churches that people who knew what was right and who did it outwardly, but many inside their soul was corrupt. And dying from trying to do things on their own strength, in their own strength. Look at that last sentence there. So confession is very deep in the process of discovering the soul. I love confession now. I don't feel like I want to use it as a, a, um, a first aid kit anymore to feel better. You know how sometimes you just say something, you did something to feel better? Oh, I was bad to my wife last night. Got that off my chest. Oh, I was harsh with my kids the other week. Oh, this off my chest now. You ever heard that term, off my chest? 
It might off your, be off your chest, but it's in your soul. But true confession is very deep in the process of discovering the soul, finding out how to find peace in your soul. And I believe if you're here, you're, you're wanting that. Maybe you don't experience it yet. Maybe you're just thinking it's the unattainable. It's sort of like the uh, King Arthur's sword, uh, the sword that was in the, you know, the, I can't even remember what the name of it was, but Excalibur or whatever, you know, and he had to grab it out. Like, you, we've grabbed onto the sword for years, trying to pull it out, thinking one point in time, if I walk forward in church, it's going to happen. No? Sorry. Verse 38, Matthew chapter 5. You've heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Man, let me just say, as good American people, we're all about that. You touch me and I'm going to hurt you. You know? It's an army guy. I did, did some stuff. Bring it on. Don't you touch me. Some of that was out of a uh, part of my childhood of being uh, emotionally abused by my stepfathers and, and my mom. And I was like, no one's going to hurt me anymore. No one's going to hurt me anymore. And I had people in college when I started lifting, I became strong. I didn't think that was ever a thing in high school. I was a string bean. Then all of a sudden I got strong somehow. I don't know what happened. Then people said, you're not going to let anyone mess with you anymore. I said, you're right. You're not going to mess with me. And so then became this, this years of, I'm a tough guy now. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's not how you experience the love that Jesus is going to talk about here. It doesn't work. So he said, uh, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the other also. We all hate that verse. You know, for probably most of my life, I'm like, mm-mm. No, sir. But look at, look at this verse later in John, in John 18, it says, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But what if I said is right, why do you strike me? Jesus called into account, You struck me illegally. But Jesus didn't stand up and put some Kung Fu Holy Spirit on that guy. He brought truth after getting slapped. You're wrong. He wasn't, I don't believe Jesus was being all puffed up and up in his face and his grill. You're wrong and I'm going to drop you. I just think he said, okay, let's just see what the truth is. Sorry. Listen to what D.A. Carson says. But turning the other cheek without bearing witness to the truth is not the fruit of moral resolution, but the terrorized cowardice of the wimp.
That means a lot of things. I can't even simplify it too much. It doesn't mean that if you're a, an, uh, 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 boy, how can I say this very gingerly? It's, it doesn't mean if you are an abused spouse that you continue to turn the other cheek. It might mean that you speak the truth and say, if this ever happens again, then this, this, and this. It might mean that it's a phone call to the police. But there is a peace that Jesus gives us, and this is what the Beatitudes mean, that you can be in any situation, any situation, and respond in grace, respond in truth, respond in meekness, respond in strength, where people will stand in awe. It might mean you go, this isn't going to happen anymore. And you're calm. I am much more terrified by calm people than I am people who lose their mind. In the military, these big guys who come up and get all emotional and stuff, I love dropping them. And it wasn't like fist fighting. It was just sort of like a, a test of strength. The big bad ones I love to go against. It was the small, wiry, quiet ones that I looked at with a corner of my eye going, I'm going to watch you. But there is something about being in the kingdom when you respond in the spirit. You hit me? Okay. Here's what's going to happen. Parenting, responding in the spirit. When kids do stupid things, if you have young kids, and I'm not talking about the little stupid things, if you have kids that are getting older, just wait. They're going to do stuff, and you're going to be, dear God, whatever happened? Chances are, if you look in the mirror, you're that kid. Oh. You can choose to get angry and get high on your, your horse and, and demonstrate your power as a parent. I mean, you can see this. You, you, you can see this in law enforcement. You can see this in the military. You can see this. How you handle your authority demonstrates a whole lot about who you are as a person. Verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And, and that second part, is, was a law that the Romans had that if a Roman soldier asked a Jewish person to carry something for them, they legally had to do it for a mile. Jesus is saying, okay, take it too. Most of us are going to not go one iota further than the mile because nobody's going to control me. Remember the control with the anger? If you've been here for a while, go back. Anger comes. When you lose control, anger comes. 
Jesus addressed it. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. There's a lot of debate in the theological realms about that, and I have struggled with that as long as the, as long as the, the day is long, I have struggled with that. But sometimes you might not be in a position to help someone like they want to be helped, but maybe you can help them in some other way, and that's where the Spirit needs to be involved. I never know what the answer is going to be. So Laura and I went to uh, Baltimore overnight one night, and we were in the harbor, and we had got this place where it was a buy one, get one free sub. And I know I ate mine. She didn't eat all hers, and I had it wrapped up, and I was going to eat it later. And I had a, uh, an extra water there or something. I'm walking, and then this guy comes up to us wanting money. And I'm like, no, but you can have this. He took it and thanked us so profusely and sat down and ate it. I'm like, man, that's awesome. Okay? I've had the opposite happen where I handed a sandwich, and they threw it in the ground and say, I don't want your stupid sandwich. But what's being tested there? Them or me? We're the ones who Jesus is looking at. We want to be the junior Holy Spirit and rain down fire because they didn't accept what we wanted to give them and becomes an anger thing. And then we get angry. We go, I didn't want to give anyway and blah, 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 blah. And, And God's just going, come on, son. This isn't walking in the Spirit. You can say no in the Spirit. You might say yes in the Spirit. And you might be abused for it as far as they might take your 10 bucks and run. But if God tells you to, it's God's, right? Then you're not angry anymore. But we want to control the narrative. At least I do. Again, you're a a grown-up bunch of spiritual Giants. (laughs) Giants. <laughs> Many of you are. I'm just messing. Look at 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yep, I like that one. I can do that one all day long. Well, at least the first part I can do. Second part, all time. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So I was thinking about what are some great evidences, and you know these things. These things aren't that far from you. One is in the World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a a minister, a Lutheran minister, that he decided that he was not going to go with what Hitler's regime wanted to do. He was not going to tow the Nazi Bible line. He was not going to play those games, and many ministers did. They sold out. They sold out. Dietrich Bonhoeffer didn't, and he peaceably went. He spoke the truth in love, and he was hung shortly before freedom of the prison camp that he was in. And people still know his name to this date. It's not because he went crazy and just like bashed a bunch of people and took a sniper rifle and killed a bunch of Germans. 
because he was something beyond the things that we're used to. Martin Luther King said this, or excuse me, at his funeral, Dr. Benjamin Mays said this of him. If any man knew the meaning of suffering, King knew. House bombed, living day by day for 13 years under constant threats of death, maliciously accused of being a communist, falsely accused of being insecure, stabbed by a member of his own race, slugged in a hotel lobby, jailed over 20 times, occasionally deeply hurt because friends betrayed him, and yet this man had no bitterness in his heart, no rancor in his soul, no revenge in his mind, and he went up and down the length and breadth of this world preaching nonviolence and the redemptive power of love. Even stronger this week. I mean, just as strong. I'm going to set it up for you. Many of you have seen it, maybe, if you haven't, but I'm going to set this one up for you. Police officer got off work. She parked on the fourth floor instead of the third floor. She walked into her apartment, which the door was open. She was a white officer. An African-American man in his early 20s was sitting on his sofa watching TV and eating ice cream. She killed him, shot him in his own apartment. Now in the South, there's enough history there for there to be a powder keg based on that. Just think, just think what it would be like if someone you love deeply was in their room eating ice cream. I don't care who they were. How, what the propensity is to react. Watch this. This is, sorry, before you do, this is at the sentencing hearing and the brother of the man who was killed is speaking. I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just... I hope you go to God with all what all the guilt all the thing the bad things you may have done in the past each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do if you truly are sorry I know I can speak for myself I I forgive you and I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. 
and I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Shortly after she was sentenced by an African-American judge, a lady, who I think took great risk, she walked in the back and brought out a Bible and began and brought to that woman who shot this very young accountant, African-American young man, and opened the Bible to John 3 and had her read through John 3.16 in front of all the cameras and hugged her. And there may be some in this room who have held offenses and created enemies and have nourished the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of self for so long that you're angry and bitter and you're trapped. I'm not preaching at you. But I think there are very few people in the kind of spotlight that this young man was in 
even against probably his own mother in the moment. To get up and shine the light of Christ and to hug the woman that shot his brother eating ice cream on his own sofa. That is kingdom living. That is leading and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is trusting the spirit with the outcome. I believe the judge did the same thing. I believe she took all kinds of risk. People are saying church and state stuff. Man, I remember when he said you might be ridiculed for what you do. She took that chance. He took that chance. And yet, someone called us a name or deeply wounded us. And we say we can't forgive. And we sit squarely in the kingdom of self or the kingdom of Satan. And we never experience the blessed are those who are merciful. I believe the peace that that young man is going to experience from doing what he did cannot be uh, quantitated. It cannot be added up what God's going to do with that. The magnification of that. I'm, I watched your face. I, I, I just watched your reaction. Weren't you astounded by that? That should be the natural response of kingdom living. It's not easy. It's not a cakewalk. But we go, Lord, how would you have me respond? And we do what? We do it. Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise of the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. It's easy to love people who love you. That's not, that's nothing. And if you greet only your brother, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This doesn't mean that you're perfect. This means that you're walking in the kingdom and Christ is acting perfectly in you. This is something that you cannot do on your own. Take it for someone who's tried for way too long. You cannot do it. Listen to what John Stott says. Through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. For most of us, I believe the thing that is most absent 
is our intercession to God on the behalf of those people who irritate the spit out of us. This morning I'm laying in my bed at 3 in the morning, 2.30 actually, and I just began to pray for my stepfather. Began to intercede for him. Because I can't change anyone, and if I want to be receive mercy, then I need to give mercy. This cannot be done on my own. Prayer is when we take that person with us to the kingdom, to the king, to his throne. And say, God, I intercede on the behalf of those, this person. Then guess what? It's not about you anymore. I used to get out of it fully by going, I'll take them to your, your thing, Lord. And if they don't accept and believe and trust, you're going to judge them. I'm good with that. That's not even fully kingdom living. I should be grieved if the person doesn't turn their life to Christ, right? I should be grieved. So this is a process, folks. I'm on the journey with you. All I can say is I hope you're on the journey with us. The Sermon on the Mount is, is not what I thought it was a year and a half ago. But I believe that it can take us as a group of people who are broken, angry, lustful, you name it, and we begin to live for the kingdom, and then things happen as a byproduct of that. And we have testimonies every week, and we're sharing the glory of God, and we're walking as Jesus walked, and he becomes our teacher instead of just our savior. See your teacher? Love your enemies. I ain't got time for that. But if he's your teacher, you're going to listen to him. You're going to walk in his steps. So we're going to come to communion. Here we come again. I have nothing stellar. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the greatest thing for me. I don't know if you notice it or not, but I am so excited on Sunday morning where a lot of time I, I built up a lot of energy inside that wasn't always like it was almost almost debilitating as it was anything but now it's like god you've got to do this god you've got to do this i want it for me i want it for you and so we come to this table in two in two or three positions one never experienced the love of christ never experiencing his mercy never experiencing forgiveness so you don't even know what it looks like and if that's you, all I can do is say Jesus has put his life down on the cross as an offering to the Father for our sinfulness. It's a beautiful thing. My filth for his righteousness. But it doesn't end there, right? It doesn't end at justification. It, it comes on with regeneration. And so right now, 
after watching that video, especially, maybe, maybe the verses didn't hit you, but you watch that video and go, okay. And you know the name of the person right now. You know it. And you might go, I can't go walk and do anything with it. Or maybe that person's dead, but you need to go to the Father with that person and do business with God before you come and offer your gifts. And third, you might just be on the journey with me and say, man, how great is this thing called grace? I'll take it. I want it. The peace is unfathomable. Please stand with me as we come. Oh, Lord, to wish our enemies that we love them, to not look at contempt with someone who doesn't look like us or isn't from the same country that we are or who doesn't, isn't in the socioeconomic status that we are and to pray blessing on them. For those who have wronged us to pray blessing on them, to want their best because you, want, you gave us mercy and so we're gonna give it. Lord, teach us that we can be blessed in this. And we're not even doing it for that. We just want to be in your will. We want to bask in your delight in us as children. Lord, as a little kid who hit a home run and his dad or mom was in the bleachers, Lord, I just think that that, that young man, uh, you're proud of your son who forgave. Lord, as we come to the table, may we receive mercy and give mercy. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.